2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: And if you turn to Ruth chapter two and verse six, and just with that in mind of the Lord as, as our cornerstone, and looking at the life here of Ruth, in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 6, and, and uh, just um, finding that, let's pray. Lord, yes, you are our cornerstone. Yes, we're so glad to be that you've planted our feet upon you as the rock, the rock of ages. We thank you, Lord, that you took us from those other grounds of trusting in ourselves, of of hoping in this world, of finding pleasure outside of God. You took us all out of that sinking sand and you put us on the rock. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing that for Ruth and her life. Help us as we study now in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 6, so it says here, And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It's the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you, let me glean, gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean another field, neither go from thence. "'But abide here fast by my maidens. "'Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. "'Go thou after them. "'Have not I charged the young man "'that they shall not touch thee? "'And when thou art athirst, "'go unto the vessels and drink of that "'which the young men have drawn.' "'Then she fell on her face "'and bowed herself to the ground "'and said unto him, "'Why have I found grace in thine eyes? "'That thou should take knowledge of me, "'seeing I am a stranger.' Boaz answered, Senator, if that had been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust." Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. Now, so far, we've had the privilege of really having within our hands here God's account of a remarkable Gentile woman named Ruth, a woman who was born into a darkness. She was born in the darkness of being a Moabite in the terrible state of idolatry. And we watched from chapter 1 as a Jewish family back there in Bethlehem decimated from a famine that just hit their their city hard. And as that family, under the leadership of Eli Melech, and as he left their homeland to find bread in the land of Moab, and if he was asked, you know, Eli Melech, what are you doing? His answer would have been, whatever. If there's bread down there, we'll go down there. And so we saw their dire situation. We saw that how Eli Melech's two sons married Moabite women, and again, if you said, Eli Melek, what? And he said, whatever. And one of them was Ruth. And when Ruth married into that family, Ruth came in contact with the only true God. She came in contact with the God of Israel in Moab. But when she did that, then what happened is that she married also into a family of deep sorrows. It was not good life for her, it was a life of suffering and we watched as Ruth's father-in-law, Eli Melech, he died and he left Naomi, his widowed wife, with his two sons and the two daughters-in-law. And we can imagine Ruth's suffering there as she stood by the grave of Eli Melech and looked down into that hole and saw her father-in-law down there and how Ruth must have turned with pain in her heart and tried to comfort Naomi and the rest of the family that she had married into. And then we watched as Ruth's brother-in-law died. And again, we can imagine Ruth standing again at this this grave and looking down at her brother-in-law and then how she must have turned again with the pain in her heart, again to try to comfort her sister-in-law and Naomi, the rest of the family she'd married into. And then we watched as Ruth's own husband died, and there she is again standing now at the grave of her own husband and looking down on on him and wondering, is the pain ever going to stop? Is the suffering ever going to stop? but with the pain in her heart and and she turns and she tries to comfort the rest of the family. And then we watched as as Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, she decides to leave Moab, return back to Bethlehem in a state of depression. And we can imagine again Ruth suffering as she decided to go with Naomi and Naomi all the while say, no, you don't want to go with me. I'm bad news for you. Go back home. Go back to your mother. Go back to your father. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Don't come to this foreign place. But we know that Ruth made this decision that Ruth said, me, I'm going to be a life comfort to Naomi. I have come in to love her, and I'm not leaving her. And we watched as as Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, did all she could to send her back, send her back. And we can imagine again uh, Ruth's pain as she watched Naomi in such a state of depression. And she's sending her back to her gods. But she decides, and she says, I'd rather die than leave you, Naomi. And then we watched Ruth's sister-in-law as she decided that she'd had enough. And she decided that, yeah, I'm going to do what she says. I'm going back to my family and people and gods because it's brighter there. It's got a better possibility of a remarriage. And we watched then Ruth, she enters into the country there and comes into Bethlehem, and now she's got new suffering. Everybody's looking at her and says, the Moabitess. here she is. That's a Moabitess. And so we can imagine uh, you know, how Ruth is suffering as no one gave her a kind word of welcome or an appreciation. And then we watched how Ruth and Naomi were, were hungry, no food. And Ruth left that day to go out, and she said, I'm going to find someone who's going to show some compassion. I haven't found it yet. There's got to be somebody here who's going to have mercy and compassion. And let me pick up the grain that the reapers just drop. And we can imagine how Ruth, now suffering from loneliness and fear, of herself going out alone into the people that despised her. And we looked at Ruth, and there's there's just this, when we see all this pattern, there's only one word. Suffering has been her life. It's suffering, suffering, suffering. She suffered. She suffered because she chose to be faithful to Naomi. She didn't have to, but she suffered because she chose to be faithful to Naomi. She didn't have to go with Naomi, but she chose to go with Naomi, And she chose to be faithful to Naomi, and as a result, she's paying the price. She's paying the price of faithfulness. Faithfulness comes at a price. To live a life that's godly and to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's gonna come with a price. There's gonna be a price. There will be friends that will be lost because of a faithful life of godliness. And I'm never gonna forget the story That Dave Hall told about that last Sunday about the flight jacket. The flight jacket, when Dave was in charge of the materials over there on the Midway and the carrier, and one of his buddies asked him, Give him a flight jacket, and he said, No, would know. And Dave said, God would know. And at that moment, Dave chose a life of faithfulness to godliness over friendship with that buddy, and that cost, I'm sure, Dave, his friendship. And then when we, as Scantabies, we were asked as a company, just put the sex toy in the first response. What's the big deal? And we were producing that. And then when we told the company we were producing for we will have nothing to do with immorality. And there was around a table, a conference table, men and women, the other side, giggling and laughing over it. We were stone-faced in disgust, and we chose faithful godliness. We lost that business. I'm not saying it's because of that, but I'm sure that didn't help. 27% of our business. A life of faithfulness costs what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It may be a persecution that results in the loss of friendship, in finances, or an advancement in a career, but it will come, the Bible promises it. And in the life of Ruth, we can see how much this cost her to be faithful to Naomi. But fortunately, thank God, the book of Ruth does not end in chapter two, verse three, where they're continuing in her suffering and the working in the hot sun to try to gather up the food to, so that her and Naomi can survive. She suffered through her darkness of separation from her family, from her people, from her land. She suffered through the darkness of the loneliness, the fear of being a Moabitess despised by the men that she's working among. She suffered through the ruin of her home. She suffered through seeing all of her chances to have children gone when she looked down in the grave of her dead husband. And she suffered through all of this, and now she's in poverty And she's really living a life of death. But, but God has been monitoring Ruth's suffering. And God has said, that's enough. Now it's time for the tide to turn. And he's decided, God has decided that it's gonna be through Boaz that God's gonna make the tide turn now for Ruth. It's all gonna be different now. And through Boaz, Ruth's life of darkness Is going to turn to a glorious life of brightness. Through Boaz, Ruth's family of ruin and loss and losing the chance to any have children is going to turn to such a built-up home that Ruth's going to give birth to King David's grandfather. And through Boaz, Ruth's poverty is going to turn to riches. The very people that she's working among, she's going to be the matron over all of that. And through Boaz. Ruth's life of death is going to be turned into life. All this change is going to happen because of one person, Boaz. And everything changes because of Boaz. Boaz is a change. That's why the two most important words in Ruth's life in chapter 2 are in verse 4. And those just simply say, behold, Boaz. And Ruth's life had sunk into the lowest state and then behold, Boaz. Isn't that a picture of us? A picture of our lives. Our lives sink to the lowest level, and then what happens? What happens to us is Ruth 2.4, behold Boaz. Only for us, it's Matthew 28.9, behold Jesus. It's behold Jesus. Just as Boaz came to help Ruth, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to help us. And in verse 8, when we read, then said Boaz unto Ruth, It's a very important point between verses 7 and 8 that's not written, but we have to understand. In verse 7, Boaz is speaking to his foreman. That's the way the verse ends, with the foreman speaking to Boaz. And then in verse 8, it starts with Boaz talking with Ruth. And the question is, How did we go from the end of verse seven of the foreman talking with Boaz to the start of verse eight of Boaz talking to Ruth? It's simple. Boaz left the foreman and sought out Ruth to talk with her. So between verses seven and eight, Boaz is going out into the field to find Ruth and the tide of suffering never would have changed for Ruth had not Boaz left his foreman and said, okay, I got enough information. Now I'm going now to find Ruth. And Ruth never would have approached Boaz. No, Ruth wouldn't have done that because Ruth was so impressed as she said in verse 13, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. So Ruth, 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 Ruth never would have gone to Boaz. Ruth's destiny was dependent on Boaz's seeking Ruth. I mean, what a meaningful picture that is for us. I mean, there we were, hopelessly lost in our sins, pitifully imprisoned into our own sinful desires, repulsively defiled by our own sins, desperately damned by our own sins. And for us, there was only one hope that we have. There was no no glimmer of thought in our minds, well, I'll just go to God. As it says in Romans ten six, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend up into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. You know, in our state, it would have been absolutely absurd for us to think we can ascend to heaven to bring the Lord Jesus Christ down here to earth. Can you imagine such a ridiculous scene as us going to heaven and we get there to the gate and they say, Why are you here? And we say, I'm here to ask God, the son, if he'd come down here to earth and become a sinless man and die for my sins. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and the gatekeeper would tell us, leave, go away. Never come back here again. We'd be hopelessly lost forever. And even if the gatekeeper, he said to us, he said to us, okay, you can come in, you can ask him yourself, and if we were to somehow come into the throne of God the Son and see him in all of his glorious God and his majesty and his holiness and his beauty, and he would say to us, well, what's, what, what, what's your request? I mean, could we really say to him, I would like, I would really like for you to descend from your throne. I want you to set aside all your glory and your power and your majesty. And I want you to become a man like me. And I want you to become a servant to men. And then I want you an ultimate servant. I would like for you to take all my sins on you and slowly be tortured to death for my sins. Now I understand you will have done no sin, but I want you to suffer the all that my sins deserve. Will you do that for me? Can you imagine? Everyone in heaven would be shocked such a request. Most of all, God the Father was pleased, so pleased with God the Son, and he delights in God the Son. I mean, those kind of scenes are unthinkable. We can't even think of something like that. I mean, that's why Paul says, don't even say those things in your heart. Say not within thy heart, I'll ascend up to heaven to bring Christ down. So don't think those things in Romans 10:6. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Those thoughts never came from our hearts. Those thoughts came from the heart of God. As it says in John 3:16, it was God who took the initiative and he so loved us that he gave, he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's speaking of the love of God the Father. See, he's the he in Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, that was God the Father's decision to send. And it was God's decision to come to us, motivated by love for us, not our love to him, and first John 4, 9 and 10. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Here's the definition of love. Not that we loved God. Don't even think about that. But that he loved us and sent his son into the Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When God the Father, in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth to die for us, that's where we see the love of God the Father. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth to die for us, we don't see our love for God. We see his love for us. But when the Lord Jesus Christ accepted that mission, because it was a mission it was given to him by God the Father, he didn't come with a warm obedience toward the Father who sent him and a cold attitude toward us, which he could have. He didn't come with an attitude of a, well, I'm going to die because I love the Father and I want to obey the Father. But I really don't care for man I'm dying for. I just have to do it because I was asked to do it and I love the Father and I have to do this. Yeah, this is really great, this is really great. Man sins, let me see how this works. Man sins against God, God the Father loves man, God the Father sends me to die for man. How's that good? Great, man sins, the Father loves, I die. That's a great deal. Somehow I got the wrong end of this. Man sins, God the Father loves, and, and I suffer and die. How'd that work? That sequence doesn't seem fair. Man sins, God loves, I die. You might have just said something like, you know, boy, oh, I can't wait till I get to earth. I'll show man how much I think of them sinning and having to having me to die because the Father sent me. None of that attitude was in the Lord Jesus Christ. none. The Lord Jesus Christ not only obeyed outwardly, but he obeyed inwardly from his heart when he obeyed God the Father who gave his only begotten Son because the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ was so perfect that he adopted the loving heart of God the Father and he proved it when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. See, when he said that, it's important to see what he did not say. See, when he said, he did not say, greater love hath no one than this, that a man give the life of his only begotten son to be laid down for his friends. If he had said that, he would have been talking about the love of God the Father. And he might have said something like this, God the Father really loves you, because I know how much he really loves you. For him to give my life for you shows me how much he really loves you. Don't ask about what I think about you. You know, you're the one who caused me all this loss and the pain and the suffering and the humiliation and the death. He wasn't talking about the love of God the Father. You see, when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, he's talking about his own personal love. His own personal love. This was in John 15 when he said that. And John 15 is past John 3. And earlier in John 3, he told everyone that God the Father loved the world, that he sent him to die for his sins. But now, later, in John 15:13, he's saying, I'm not talking to you about the love of God the Father and giving me to die for your sins. Now I'm talking to you about my personal love for you to die for your sins. And later, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he saw his own personal will and the will of the Father, when he said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine two wills be done. In that scene, we got to see the, the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and the will of God the Father. And we have one of these scenes right here when he says in John 15 3, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. What a statement! we see how he had that same love of God the Father for us that had separated himself from life by his own sin. Now, man, we we separate ourselves from life by our own sin. And what we see in the statement of what he meant in John 8, 29, where he said, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. When we read, they said, I do always those things that please him. That could easily lead us to conclude obedience is just what he had to do.
2: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God,